Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This episode is brought to you by Epsilon and their award-winning PeopleCloud loyalty solution. Today, I'm delighted to announce that I'm taking part in Epsilon's Persona Live event this June. Persona Live is a series of online events designed to inspire marketeers with thought leadership, best practices, as well as interactive discussions around identity and personalizing our customers' experiences. If you'd like to register for this free event and hear from Epsilon clients such as Marriott, Inspire Brands, GM Financial and FedEx, just go ahead and visit epsilon.com forward slash Let's Talk Loyalty. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today, I'm delighted to welcome back Mike Atkin, an independent loyalty expert based in the UK who has advised some of the world's biggest loyalty programs on both their strategy and also on their technology. Now, Mike is only my second ever guest so far to be invited back on the show. And the reason I reached out to him to come back on this particular time is because I'm hearing from so many loyalty professionals that they're starting to really wonder and worry whether their loyalty programs are working. So, for people in a particular situation who want an independent, expert, external perspective, Mike has developed and in fact been delivering an extraordinary solution for exactly this type of situation uh, within any company. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome back Mike Atkin to Let's Talk Loyalty. So Mr. Mike Atkin, the loyalty guru, please do tell me what is your favorite loyalty statistic? I would have to say that the redemption performance of the payback program in Germany is the one that stands out to me. It's it's regularly been in excess of 85, 90%. Yeah. Um, so it shows they make as much effort into encouraging people to redeem points and yeah. get the value proposition strong. Um, yeah. And the other benefit, I think, is really down to German law as much as anything else, that any points that are unredeemed outside of their liability period yeah. are made as a donation to charity. And I think the members are allowed to choose what charity they donate to. So wow. I, I think that's an excellent performance and the sort of should be a, a benchmark for any loyalty program operator for me. Totally, totally. And thank you for listening to that show. I was just looking back, Mike, it was episode number 94. Um, wow. So, yeah, so yes, we're already <laughs> flying through a lot more. But um, I remember being blown away, obviously, as well. Um, Payback is a program that, you know, I knew by reputation. I obviously knew that you had worked on as well, Mike, um, when it went through, obviously, a change of ownership to American Express. And I like the fact that the law is on, I suppose, I'm going to say both sides, actually, because I think I think it's fair both to the consumer and, um, you know, use it or lose it, I think is the message that's coming through and to the business that doesn't have to kind of carry a long term liability, I guess, for people, you know, not redeeming their points. 
Exactly. I mean, that is a, that is a problem for many companies that don't prepare for that liability. Yeah. Um, you know, many companies have got millions of unredeemed yeah. uh, liability on their books and the accountants don't like that. So I yeah. think it works that way. And I, I think it also reflected in the fact that the, the partners of the original program are still yeah. very much involved with it. So it's obviously working for the coalition partners as yeah. well as the consumers. So yeah, that's a good comment. I think they've got it right. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a good... Uh, a good yes. benchmark for me. Absolutely. It's probably um, one of the best solutions I've heard. I'm sure you have plenty more and I'll certainly be asking you about them as we go through today. But just as a slightly amusing slash um, concerning aside, I did speak to an African airline sometime last year, um, which of course will remain nameless, but they did tell me that they just didn't have a, a liability on the balance sheet for the loyalty program. <laughs> and I was kind of, oh my God. Anyway, yeah, it's a it thing. Doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. Oh, my goodness. Well, so clearly there are lots of things that can go extremely well for loyalty programs, but lots of things that don't go so well. So I suppose what we're here to talk about today, Mike, is um, a really nice um, solution that you have created, um, which I think is said to you has been sitting here on my desktop for a while and I've been dying to talk to you about it. And in true marketing fashion, um, you've made up the name for the product, uh, which I think is also uh, very important. So I think you called it a suitably cheesy uh, name called the Loyalty Check. So we're here today to talk all about that and definitely the kind of thing I wish I'd had access to when I was running my own loyalty programs for clients. So first and foremost, tell our listeners what is a Loyalty Check? Well, I suppose in simple words, it's a reality check on a loyalty program. Okay. It's, uh, it, it's a dive into the, the details of how the program is working, how it's performing, the yeah. value proposition, the strategy, the policy, data management, yeah. uh, the reward options, uh, the full gambit, the, the soup to nuts, as the Americans say, in terms of what's, yeah. what, what's going on. Um, yeah. And in many cases, is it working? Um, yeah. And often they don't know. They don't know what it costs to run the program. Yeah. You know, I was always taught at marketing college that it, uh, you know, you need to know what it costs to open the door in the morning, and many of them don't. Um, yeah. Uh, often loyalty programs are siloed into yes. different departments that have access and work with other areas. So yeah. it's very difficult. And all the ones that I've done over the years, uh, I've often found that that there's a sort of a a, a, a sort of distinct difference between operations and and, and uh, finance and marketing and, yes. and few of them actually come together um which is why when we do these these loyalty checks we really need access at a senior board level it's got a it's normally a director who says like let's do this a ceo or okay. whatever because you know the only that's the only way and because the customer straight when network are independents then the, yes. the client is normally quite happy that he's not got somebody there who's trying to sell them a platform or a solution as such. So, yes, yeah, that, that's where it came from. Really, it was it was as a result of a yeah uh, a, a UK fuel operator got in touch with me and said, "Look, we'd like you to come and look at our program. It's not working." Or yeah. as he put it to me, "I think it's not working," um, <laughs> which, which is worse, <laughs> which is worrying. But I mean, the good thing about that was he admitted it. Yeah. Um, fortunately, he wasn't the guy who designed it because that's always a challenge. Yeah. If you're doing an evaluation of the guy who designed who designed it, then that yes. can be uh, that could be awkward. But um, yeah, they, they were very honest. It, uh, I think it frightened them the results. Really, um, but we did show them a million pound saving on the rewards alone. Wow! So it was not insignificant. It was it was costing them five pound fifty to send out a five pound voucher. Oh know? my god! <laughs> and there was wow. all manner of fraud at the point of sale of people giving extra yes. points to their friends and 
you know, the, this itself. So it, it paid for itself uh, very quickly. And, and that's yes. been similar for the ones that we've done. It's always been uh, yeah. a good investment. Okay, yeah. And I was going to pick up on that point, Mike, because I think one of the um, immediate benefits, I think, to listeners is the fact that it is an independent external expert, because I think with the best will in the world, we all have our own subjective views as to what is working or not. So whether it's our own programs or somebody senior who um, identifies the need to really understand what's going on, I think it's extraordinary to have this capability to say, look, let's just get somebody else to take a fresh look at things and see if it's working or not. Yeah, ex exactly. And, and I applaud the people who've done it because it yeah. often has been, you know, uh, one comment I remember from an accountant saying that the it was profit neutral and I didn't really know what that means, um, but he, <laughs> okay. he really didn't didn't know. And, and it wasn't until we, yeah. we it, actually, we didn't, they didn't really know what was going on until we started asking the questions, you know, it's, it's, it's a well-proven and, and well-used phrase, but they didn't know what they didn't know. Okay. Um, uh, and okay. that was it. And because many programs were mm. really invented in other people's boardroom, they copied someone else's, then yeah. often the strategy was at fault. And when you dug a bit deeper, then yeah. the originals, it, it hadn't really been designed and it, it sort of just limped along and eventually got into a situation where yeah. it certainly wasn't driving incremental growth. <laughs> For sure, obviously, yeah. So, um, so lots of different, I suppose, mindsets. Um, as you said, kind of um, brave executives at uh, usually senior level. Um, sometimes with you know just no idea whether it's working. Sometimes I think you mentioned it might be somebody who's inherited a loyalty program, and you know again just needs to understand maybe some of the decisions that were made along the way. Um, maybe an executive's under pressure from their board to improve results. Um, and I think there's the whole tech technology piece, which we will get into as well. So I think it's it's applicable for, for lots of the audience listening. Um, so what kind of questions and answers are you looking to, to address with this loyalty uh, product? Well, as I said earlier, it, it is a modular sort of uh, process. So effectively, um, probably the strategy would be the first thing we'd look at. You okay. know, what are you trying to achieve? And of course, through all of this, we need to speak as many decision makers and decision influencers that are involved in the program. So that's okay. normally part of the contract where we say, look, we need access to these people um, okay. so they can give us their own uh, opinions. So mm. we would look at the program strategy. We'd look at the customer value proposition, which at the end of the day is what it's all about. You yeah. know, is, is it valuable enough? Is it uh, is it competitive you know is it just uh, mm. a vanilla vanilla offer many often uh, mm. programs will only offer points per spend there's no targeted offering etc mm -hmm. data analytics gets towards the top of the list and with gdpr being evident now mm. the last couple that i've done have been very much around that are we conforming we think we're conforming but we're not sure and really we need to sort of we need to talk to you know, we've got a couple of experts within CSN who understand that. Yes. Um, we, we would also look at the rewards and fulfillment process. Mm -hmm. You know, are the value the value proposition is obviously the reward as well. Yeah. Um, and we're finding now that companies are looking to outsource rewards and outsource rewards that have a higher perceived value. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and moving yes. away from vouchers, moving away from cash back, looking at um, rewards and how yeah. they fulfill those. How simple is it? You know, we, we, we sometimes sit in call centres and listen to call centres, talk to call centre staff about what they're doing. Mm. 
obviously the financials come into it. Is there a, are there some KPIs? Is there a return on investment? Mm. Uh, and often a couple of days are normally spent just looking at where all the costs come from and okay. how they're apportioned. Mm. Uh, sometimes in the loyalty program, if they have a call center, that mm. call center will provide call center service to loyalty program members, but mm. it isn't necessarily costed within that. So it's those sort of things that you pick up on. Mm-hmm. Um, market research, are they doing any market research? Have they got any focus mm. groups that are talking to the consumer? What's the consumer's opinion? The communications process. Mm. Uh, in terms of who, how they're communicating with customers, yeah. the use of social networking. Yeah. Um, and probably now, again, getting towards the top list is the customer care. Um, that aspect of it now is is mm-hmm. often key, and it's the service you get when you go into. Yeah. You know, the points are important. People buy into that, but they do expect a yeah. bit of customer care, and often that's a weak link within yeah. some of these programs. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's born out of communication. No one – Certain people down the line don't necessarily know what they're trying to do or mm. what the objectives are. And mm. we hear stories of going into a store. We do some some mystery shoppers and go into stores and talk to the staff and they don't really know about the program. And yes. some of it is fairly obvious, but it's just no no one has really bothered to look at it. Yes. Um, so there's a myriad of things and, and normally yeah. it, it involves a one-day sort of course, um, a way day ideally with directors to talk about things and almost get you know, the warts and all out in the scenario and then okay. and then come back and say, right, this is the areas I think we need to approach and mm. and then go on and talk to the various departments and see the journey. Mm. Now, as I said before, the word audit probably is what it is. It's the sort of thing that yes. if accountants were going to take over a company, they'd come in and look at it in in, in yeah. detail and find yeah. out and say, well, look, is this viable? Yeah. Um, and I have to say probably three out of 10 are probably not viable. I've had to say to people, you might just well not bother. Wow. You know, it's, it's a, not doing anything. Yeah, that's an extraordinary percentage, 30%, not, yeah. not viable, huh? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, you said it, Mike, I think you have more experience running programs than anyone else I know. Um, and of course, you you do uh, market yourself as the loyalty guru. So clearly, that's exactly what's coming through there. Um, <laughs> I was able to get the Twitter name, loyalty guru, so it's a bit <laughs> cheeky, really, but. Totally fine. Well, I, I love it. You know, I've said before on the show, I, I regularly buy domain names if I have an idea that amuses me. I don't know if I'll ever use it for anything, but I'll buy it just and hold it. So I think you you snapped it up right. So, um, yeah, so good positioning. Why not? Thank you. Um, yes. And just um, uh, because you've mentioned CSN a few times, Mike, uh, we're both members of the Customer Strategy Network, but um, you've been involved even a lot longer than me. I'd love you just to explain, just even to go back a step to the holistic group of consultants that form the Customer Strategy Network because we all work together, I suppose, in different ways around the world, um, independently as well as collaboratively. But uh, just because you were there in the beginning, would you maybe just explain CSN for anybody not familiar with us? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a brainchild, for want of a better word, of uh, myself and a guy called Bill Hannafin, who now runs the, the Wise Marketer. Yeah. And we were actually working in London. I was working with what is now Loyalty One. It was uh, frequency marketing they were called in those days. And we'd had a a fairly uncomfortable meeting, should we say, with Visa in their offices in Paddington and were drowning our sorrows in a pub around the corner and I thought, (laughs) well, there must be a better way. Um, We need somebody who can go in and talk to these companies without any hidden agenda. Um, And that's where we formed the idea and we expanded on that and started talking to various other colleagues that we knew around the world and and, uh, involving them. So we pulled it together. It probably Mm. must be 15 years ago now 
were yes. the first ones. Also, my Bill and myself were founder members. Yeah. Um, and uh, a few other guys, a guy from Nigeria, um, who's, who's no, no longer sort of working with us, but was a, a valuable member at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Praffel from India, Praffel Misra, who now works in a different division of Net Carrots. But, and that helped form the business and, and it yeah. developed over the years. Um, and obviously, Nick Chambers now is running it, took it over about three years ago. Um, yes. It was yes. owned by Wise Marketer and I bought it back from the Wise Marketer. Yes. Um, we now run it as independents. And as you know, we're now expanding yeah. The membership, and we're looking for experts in in their field because obviously it's not just loyalty experts we need. Yes, you know we need GDPR. We need people who understand the legalities. Yeah. We need people that understand customer behavioural things. Yes, so it's it, it's expanding, and that's how it's gone over the years. And yeah, um, it's, I'm very pleased at the moment. It's coming together as a nice group, and yeah, and we're, and we're gaining awareness around the world, which is which is good yes. to know. Yes, people are pitching to join us. It's it's super exciting. I know, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Mike. Um, and you're absolutely right. I think what um, what is very reassuring for all of us is to have access to the kind of brain power because I think we all have our own field of expertise within loyalty, but we don't, nobody has all the answers, I guess. Exactly. So uh, what I like actually, and, and we will give um, Nick a, a proper plug there for doing some great work, uh, Nick and Mobile Loyalty Technologies, for um, for really driving the, the customer strategy network and uh, keeping us all well behaved and engaging on high tech platforms like Slack to uh, to communicate with each other. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, mostly of, of, of the work I've done in these loyalty checks, it's been normally a, a yeah. team effort. It isn't just me because we do have, as you yes. said, experts in different fields. So yeah. you yeah. know, Nick certainly on the technology and the mobile side of it, and yeah. uh, a guy called Richard Dutton who understands GDPR. So we involve different people, and that's that's yeah. the beauty of what they're getting. They're getting access to global awareness yeah. of what's going on. So often, yeah, you know, we see them every day, don't we? People asking us, "Does anyone know anything about?" Yes. You know, loyalty programs in the airline sector and, and we've got a wealth of knowledge between us which yes. we're very happy to share. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the other point, uh, just before we move back to the, the loyalty check, you just mentioned um, a couple of uh, trends, I suppose, and one that I know you've got a lot of experience with from your work with Tesco, which is obviously extremely well uh, respected there in the UK. And it's this very clever model that I know they have that you're a big fan of, which is around, you know, really, I suppose, multiplying the value of the rewards. Um, I think you said by, by essentially outsourcing maybe the, the reward strategies so I'd love you just to explain that piece as well in case anybody's not familiar with that because I know it's something you've done a lot of work with. Yes, yes. It was born out of the work I did um, well, several years ago where mm. suddenly a sort of a, a, a light went on in the, in, the, um, in the minds of Tesco and suddenly thought um, we're giving away 1%. Uh, it was actually 2% at the time, but they were, we're giving away this percentage. And yeah. all that's happening is the customers are coming back in the store and buying yeah. stuff they would have bought anyway. Yes. But instead of using cash, they're using points. Yes. And this came to fruition at Christmas time when people were going in and using yeah. their points to buy the Christmas booze. And yeah. so I said, well, hang on a minute. We really want them to be using their money when they come into the store. So yeah. let's get them to start using their points to buy other things. Yeah. And that's when we started looking out to markets and looking out to potential yeah. partners that had higher value proposition, had higher margins to play with, yes. you know, so, so they could afford to make the value proposition attractive. Yeah. And because Tesco could say, hey, we've got 
at this time, 11 million active members. We can drive them into your hotel, your yeah. restaurant, your pizza express or whatever. Yeah. Then the negotiation was quite easy. They were quite happy to say, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. And now if you go to their club card site, I think the average is probably three times the face value. So if you yeah. have a five pound voucher with Tesco's, it's worth 15 pound in Chef and Brewer. Yes. Um, it's worth 15 pound in some cinemas. I think they even have um, an agreement with Royal Caribbean where they're worth three times their face value towards nice. a cruise. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a seamless operation. You go online, you put your club card details in, they tell you what what uh, vouchers you've got, what points you've got. Yeah. You convert them into another voucher and present that voucher to the to the, um, the supermarket to the or to, to, the, to the partner. Um, yeah. And you don't even have to sort of book. There's no blackout days like there are on the airlines. You yeah. just use it as currency. You hand your voucher over when you come to sell. So to me, yeah. that's that's making that value proposition more attractive. Yeah. You know, um, an accountant friend to me used to say, buy 100, get one free is not a very good offer. And I think <laughs> that probably making it worth more. Yes. Uh, it's also interesting to see they've started promoting that. They have now started putting a bit more effort into Really? advising people, encouraging people to redeem yeah. um, rather than just, you know, keep spending. Spend obviously, it's a, you know, that, that they've got a liability issue. Yes. Um, and if, a, if points aren't being redeemed, members aren't redeeming, for me, they're not engaged. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a fundamental, absolutely. That's yeah. the moment of truth. So definitely, that's um, that's extremely critical. Um, so yeah, so I love that piece. And what I was thinking as you were saying it, Mike, is I think for the partner as well, who's um, who's enjoying that. I'm going to call it actually free marketing, because if you manage to become a partner of of the Tesco Club Card program, as you said, it's 11 million or whatever number of millions of customers are being actively, you know, recommended. Go to I don't know whether it's London Zoo or as you said Pizza Express there's plenty of brands and options there but it's almost like for those brands it's like an acquisition channel that they're yep. finding access to to people which I guess you know they take the one-off acquisition cost in the in terms of uh, multiplying the voucher value as we said but it's there in the margin and it's it just makes sense for everybody yep yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I I cite my daughter as an example. I mean, not because her dad's in the business, but yeah. uh, she spends everything with Tesco's over, over the month. She can take my grandchildren to, to the cinema and have a pizza once a month. Lovely. Um, not recently. There's a big build-up at the moment, so they've got pizzas for the next few weeks. But, um, I'm you sure. know, but, but certainly yeah. that, 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 that is the concept. I think the yeah. key to it is, though, what I would point out is it needs to be exclusive. Okay. Um, because I think it, it, the, the problem that the airlines have, I can use any of my air miles to redeem against any hotel chain, to be against any air, any car hire company. So You're what right. is the point of them promoting my brand? Yeah. yeah. So I think then Tesco's can say, look, Mister, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Mister Chef and Brewer, yes. um, we'll give you exclusivity, but we want you to promote this in your restaurants yeah. uh, and in your own websites and what have you. So that does make a difference. Otherwise, if the yeah. partner doesn't get behind it. And the yeah. staff don't know about it when a customer goes in there, then the yes. whole thing falls flat. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Actually, I used to spend a lot of time, as you know, Mike, um, negotiating partnerships for O2 and Ireland. Yeah. And again, the communication on the partner side was always my biggest challenge to make sure that they were excited about it as we were. So we can do the digital communication, but the point of sale, again, back to the, the moment of truth. So you really have to have, I suppose, actually, we, we almost had disloyalty at one stage where people were being embarrassed, you know, if they were trying to claim something. And, you know, it was then embarrassing 
thing for us and for me as the, the person who set up that partnership. So yeah, we paid a lot of attention once it went wrong a few times just to make sure it was seamless from end to end. Yeah. Yes. Well, O2 is a good example. I mean, that is one of the success, successful yeah. ones as well. The customer gets it. They do get points, mean prizes, um, yeah. but they don't. They won't jump through too many hoops, and they'll soon get fed up. And yeah. of course, they'll tell loads of other people as well. So it's, it's it yes. needs to be you know needs to be thought through yeah. uh, and watertight before you announce it, and and, and then make sure you deliver it. Obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, sorry for taking you off topic, Mike, um, but there's, okay. there's just so much in there. So back to loyalty check. Um, so you said it usually comes in um, at a senior level, um, which I think is extremely important. And you mentioned a, a, a one day workshop and that's normally at the beginning of the process. Is that what you're saying? Just as a, a kickoff session? Yeah, yeah. We normally get ideally, you know, the board members in there, and certainly, you okay. know, the main sponsor, which is the CEO or the CMO or the CFO, yeah. um, to say, look, these guys are here. They're going to do everything. They're, they're going to find out about loyalty program. We want yeah. you to open up and tell them everything, warts and all, so okay. that you know that you're not going to get any sort of, you know, barriers when you go in and sit down with these people. Okay. Um, and then we normally talk through what the process would be, what sort of things we'd be looking at. Um, yes. and allow them to make their opinions and and, yeah. and understand their attitudes because we need to handle that through the process and and yes. sometimes that attitude reflects in the in, yeah. the in the program you get the sort of body language that tells you these people don't buy into it or the yeah. CFO thinks it's a waste of time so these challenges <laughs> need to be to yeah. managed but um that's normally the process and that also enables them to come back with a, a more detailed proposal as okay. to what needs to be done and then you can get down to pricing it rather than you know okay. speculating and charging so much a module because it depends on what information yeah. is available and what information they want to look at. Mm, okay. And you mentioned modular, Mike. Um, I'm guessing the sense that loyalty overall is all modules. So as you said, it's an end-to-end -end solution. So it's yes. looking at absolutely every step. So, so just talk us through all of those modules so we understand everything that you're going to be looking at when you're going into a company. Okay. Well, I, I think... As I mentioned, program strategy would, would, would be me for number one, would be to look at. So that's where you're talking to CEO, you yep. know, why are you doing this in the first place? Um, and often that comes up with five or six different opinions and feedbacks from the audience, which often you yes. know, can, can be embarrassing, but it highlights the issue. Yeah. The customer value proposition, both on the earn and burn side, okay. data analytics, the capabilities, the deliverables on that. Often that's an asset of the company. You, you mentioned about mm. Tesco's mm. having that that valuable 11 yeah. million customers that they yeah. know a lot about that mm. they can drive into retail yeah. partners. So understanding that and perhaps even making it worth valuable to them, often they don't realize the value of the data. Yeah. But also now with GDPR coming in, then there's rules and regulations around how yeah. you how you can manage that. Mm -hmm. um, the financials, the return on investment, the program performance, do you know how the program's performing? Yeah. Uh, and often that involves some analysis some data mm -hmm. analysis, decile analysis. Yeah. I recall one where we identified that something like 5% of their customer base were bringing in 80% of their turnover, uh, of, their, of their points. 5% of the goodness. collectors were bringing 80% of the points that were being you wow. know, uh, awarded. And that's where we identified lots of fraud, but it was very yeah. much down to high, high, high mileage drivers were doing it. So it gives you an idea. It was obviously in the okay. pure yeah. retailer sector. Yeah. Yeah. Rewards and fulfillment. We've just talked about that with Tesco. So what is your value proposition? Yeah. Um, can we yeah. do anything to improve that? Because as well as analyzing it, we also come back with a recommendation as to what oh, you could nice. be doing. 
Okay. Um, it's not just saying, you know, this is rubbish, you need to do this. Then we can often come back and suggest yeah. as we go through the process because we will identify perhaps relationships they have within the marketplace or industries that they align with that could be useful mm. partners. Um, and as we're moving a lot towards some form of coalition, whether it's the yeah. a nectar type coalition or whether it's a coalition similar to Tesco's yeah. where they're the main brand, but they have partners, then often yeah. that seems to be the, the business model you develop to. Yeah. Marketing and communications, how you talk to your customers. Is it up to date? Is it what the customers want? Mm. Um, is the customer page, their website page accessible? Are you using mobile apps? How valuable that is? Yeah. Is your customer profile suitable? For that type of customer, mm -hmm. um, we look at the customer care process. I said the customer journey yeah. to see if there's any hiccups there, not only from when when yeah. they start joining, but once they've start joining and, and yeah. are the frequently okay. asked questions covered. Um, mm -hmm. Is that easy access? Do, do the staff and all the decision makers, the the mm -hmm. people that are in communication, the front line, aware of yeah. what we're trying to do here and how yeah. it works. Um, the team itself, I suppose, you're looking at the capabilities of the people who are running it. You okay. know, I'm, I always like to see certainly a loyalty manager, ideally a loyalty director, yeah. someone who has some authority and yeah. empowered so that they're trained, they're up to date with what's going on, but they, they're yeah. aware of what's going on. So they're, they're looking at the wise marketer every week. They're reading articles about it. They're keeping themselves up yeah. to date. That yep. capability can so often be important. Mm -hmm. And again, from experience, we find that often these programs are launched with a big bang. Everyone talks about it. They promote it. Six months later, some poor little girl sitting in an office trying to make <laughs> it interesting. Totally. Um, yeah, That's exactly it's, what I've seen. Yeah. yeah it's, it's such yeah. a shame. Yeah. Um, so that, 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 that customer care and the training is important. And you've mentioned it already. It probably comes higher in certain areas is technology. Yes. Um, often these programs are launched um, using internal technology, which of course yeah. is often out of date. Yeah. Um, so even benchmarking the technology mm -hmm. enable them to identify what technology is available to improve performance of the program. Yeah. Because that's changed dramatically over recent years with with, yeah. with cloud technology and the cost of these platforms coming down. Yeah. So there's normally a deep dive there as well, looking at how it works mm. um, within, within operations. Yeah. And I suppose that, that sums it up. Market research can sometimes come into it. We have done a couple where we've actually um, contracted market research companies to do some some okay. analysis of customers, interview customers, different customer groups, yeah. you know, to do a SWOT or tails analysis on customers' yeah. opinions. Yeah. Because often these companies, I, I sometimes wonder when they sit down and decide on a value proposition, mm. whether they look at it in the eyes of the consumer. You know, yes. whether they think to myself, well, would I bother doing that for this? And and so often you see that it isn't really yeah. worth the customer's effort. Yeah. Um, and again, you have to be honest about that and say, look, it's yeah. that's not going to motivate people. You're right. And, and you know, I don't think anybody ever intentionally, Mike, sits down to, to design, obviously, a value proposition that isn't compelling. Obviously, we're all here mm. to, to, to be successful. But in my experience, what happens along the way is you start with the strong value proposition and it gets watered down either for financial reasons or legal reasons or communications or there's lots of there's so many stakeholders involved with who have a view that I often find it just by the time it actually gets 
gets onto a poster or onto TV, um, it, it just isn't what the loyalty team originally set out to do. So I, I genuinely think that that's one of the, the, the real issues. Yeah, I, I think you're right. But also, I mean, I think that the reason that, or I hope the reason these people do uh, run yeah. these loyalty programs is to identify best customers and yeah. look after best customers. So yeah. if you know who your top 20% are, your Pareto's Law customers, yeah. then those are the people you need to look at. Those are the people you need to motivate and influence the behavior of. And if you're not analyzing that and yeah. looking at how well they're performing and doing a regular decile mm. analysis and looking at Perhaps yeah. the people who are just got married, started having children, spending a bit more, whatever it may be, mm. then you've got to use the currency in a far more flexible way. So you can mm. easily reduce the cost of your point, mm -hmm. but it's always wise to have capabilities to still offer a better value proposition to different customers of rather course. than a vanilla approach where, you yeah. know, whether you spend a £10 or £100, you get 1%. Yes. Um, target customers. Again, this is where technology comes in because yeah. it used to be technology was fairly flat, you know, and it was just points per pound or whatever it was. Yeah. Now, of course, it can be so more sophisticated by by date mm -hmm. and time, by payment type, mm -hmm. by product, by product group, by SKU. Yeah. So the, yeah. The, that aspect of it, and, and again, you know, touching on the, the point side of it, I'm mm -hmm. seeing lots of custom companies now who are looking to their suppliers mm -hmm. to fund points as well. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. certainly, uh, I believe I'm right in saying that both Tesco's and Sainsbury's almost have a panel that sits every month to see wow. whose chocolate we're going to promote this month. I mean, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Cadbury or Mr. Nestle, and yeah. I think Mr. Cadbury would rather Tesco's gay double points on a bar of chocolate than knock mm. 10 pence off it. Mm. Um, and so they're happy to fund those points, nice. which helps fund the program. And, yeah. um, and there's normally some trade-off that they get access to to data mm -hmm. in terms of performance. So mm -hmm. there's lots of little well, tricks, really. They're fairly common knowledge, but yeah. often you are surprised because loyalty isn't seen as important for some of these companies. Yeah. And they don't, no one has really looked at it and said, well, hang on a minute, why aren't we doing this? Yeah. Um, so often there's some, yeah. when we sit down and present at the end as to what we found in the analysis, Yeah. there's often some raised eyebrows that thought, well, Oh, I didn't yeah. realise it was possible to do that, you know, and <laughs> yes. which, which makes you feel better as well. Well, totally, yeah. And I think you're right, Mike. I think it's the grocery sector that really has figured out this concept of, uh, I think it's called uh, politely other people's money. Yep. Um, and it is fantastic because, again, uh, the brands and the products want to have the visibility and building their brands through these databases because they don't have, obviously, the direct customer relationship. So, so I'm definitely a big fan of that. Um, I was talking to somebody in Australia recently and he said exactly the same um, and increasing awareness both of the media value overall um, as well as you know literally the access to the brand money perhaps you know so we all know that um, FMCG brands spend massive money whether it's sponsoring the Olympics or or I don't know what kind of marketing activity but I, I increasingly feel that that's starting to be siphoned off into the whole area of loyalty to fund you know direct activity at, at the point where it can really make a difference exactly uh, and yeah. i think with technology nowadays that's measurable yeah technology enables to track who issued that point whether yeah. it was redeemed so the yeah. fmcg guys realize now that they um mm. that they can actually track and identify that the value proposition they're offering the yeah. double points triple points whatever it is is yeah. having an impact um yeah. and the the practitioners need to have that technology in place to to, to do that 
Um, mm. it's, it's an easy sell because you can mm. measure it. Yes. You know, the, we, we can always you know argue that advertising works for some and some, and, yeah. and or it doesn't work. But with this, you can measure and say, okay, well, as a result of doing double yeah. points on KitKat last month, we sold five times as many. Wow. You know, and it's 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 a no-brainer from that point of view. And again, yeah, the te- technology will 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 enable you to do that. Well, I definitely want to ask you about that next now, Mike. Uh, But I suppose, again, just to draw the parallels, because I think the reason digital became such an explosive um, marketing opportunity for so many of us, you know, I'm going to say 20 years ago when it originally started, um, was because it was measurable. So it it, it almost seems crazy that it's only now. And perhaps, as you said, it is the legacy systems that we had in place operating lots of these loyalty programs that we didn't have the same degree of, you know, measuring the impact. Impact. Um, but if the technology now can prove that level of incrementality, um, I mean, just, you know, again, I've often used the, the term, I see myself as a commercial marketeer. And why would you mm. not consider implementing a solution like that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And as I said, it's not as expensive as it was. You're not talking about a lot yeah. of money. I mean, there were the days I remember when we were looking at the um, American Express platform and its yeah. suitability to run coalitions. Then yeah. I think that had cost them something in excess of $3 million yeah. to develop over many, many years. Yeah. You know, and I've recently done a, an evaluation of platform for a company um, mm. and it's going to probably cost less than £150,000 for wow. new technology with all the bells and whistles that you would need to run a, a sophisticated yeah. program. Yeah. So the, the price has come down and it's really a no-brainer. If you don't get that right, yeah. then um, you, you can't really develop. And, and often yeah. I see RFPs go out and they're not necessarily future-proofed. No one is thinking two, three years hence. That's something we always try yes. and look at. You might not want to do this today, but make sure that when you do an RFP, it's yeah. suitable for the future. Otherwise, yeah. uh, in three years' time and you want to be a bit more clever, you've got to get your checkbook out again. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like it might be even something that's even within the current capabilities of a particular platform, but it's almost like that they see that they're open to having a roadmap that their clients can have some input or, you know, they're the type of company that wants to be innovative. So, you know, I really think the visibility of their approach to what goes on the wish list uh, for new features, certainly to me, tends to impress me anyway, if if I'm I'm told, yeah, no, no, we want to hear what you want uh, and we'll, we'll think about that as a holistic. For, for what all of our clients need. So so on the technology piece, Mike, my experience has always been um, it's a very scary concept um, to consider, um, you know, swapping out a platform. Um, I think, as you already said, lots of companies maybe initially built them in-house and they've probably been sellotaped together with billing systems and, and point-of-sale systems and who knows what. And whereas the state-of-the-art technology, you know, looks absolutely extraordinary, I think it's the unknown. I think that really scares me. So, so what is it like in in this day and age? Let's say to um, you know, to go through that kind of whole RFP process and the the transition. You know, like what degree of comfort do you have when um, when you're supporting clients with that? Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. It is a bit of a minefield. Uh, again, it's probably similar to the whole loyalty check that you need to look at mm. the value proposition, where the business is going, what its competitors are doing, to yeah. see whether the technology that you you need is going to have the capabilities that mm. they will need in order to make an effective yeah. program. Yeah. So that's your first criteria. And uh, um, mm. I think the last time I looked, we have a benchmarking 
technology spreadsheet, which has something like 550 different capabilities on it. Oh my for, goodness. We're running these programs in terms of what it needs to do. I mean, yeah. that's the Rolls Royce. There are a few out there that would tick mm. most of those boxes. Yeah. You then look at what the customer re- is requiring, the client needs, mm. and identify which of those capabilities are needed. Mm. And because we've benchmarked very many now, we can identify certain retail, certain vendors yeah. that have those capabilities. Yes. And I'm finding now it is those vendors who are running effective programs that are better suited for providing technology because mm. they understand loyalty. Um, yes. Often, to, with all due respect to technology people, they will do what you ask them to do, but they yes. won't necessarily think outside the box. I'm now finding there's technology providers out there who will say, have yeah. you thought about doing this? Or do you realize that if you do this, this will happen? Yeah. Um, so it shouldn't be onerous. I mean, it's it's a process that takes time. You normally got yeah. to go through due diligence and you've got to look for two or three vendors and and give yeah. them a chance to ask questions and, and yeah. do a show and tell presentation. Mm. But it's, it's a, certainly a worthwhile proposition. Mm. It isn't as expensive. And when it comes to sort of working with existing technologies. Again, these companies have really developed it around okay. it. Most of them just need a transaction feed. You okay. know, they'll take that transaction fee from a point of sale, from an ATM, from mm. a mobile phone or whatever, mm. and then the system will identify the whoever the member is, calculate what the reward is, and mm. send a message back. So yeah. it, isn't, it isn't too onerous to do it. Okay. You often get the, the the body language from the IT people saying, "I can do that," and what have you. But uh, <laughs> every part, time, <laughs> yeah, part of the challenge is to you know take away the the hand yeah. grenade and make them realise that it's not. It makes life a bit easier for them. Okay, um, but it's a useful process, and in many cases, yeah, you can enhance it. There are programs where you can add value. Um, and if I'm honest, when I sit down with some of these architects who design these programs, mm-hmm. and I will say to them, "Can it do this?" Mm. And he says, well, no, not at the moment, but I can easily make it do it. Mm. Um, so in many cases, it is not necessarily the poor technology um, that's yeah. the problem. It's the the how they use that technology. It's, and again, an old watchword yeah. of technology enables imagination wins. And it's that sort of aspect of it that's often weak because people don't realize yeah. they can do certain things with it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, our RFPs are, are a minefield and, and we do – hold mm. the customer's hand, if you like, while we while we go through that process. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that, Mike, because again, you know, it's it's incredible that you have benchmarked 55 at, I know, a granular, granular level, but clearly nobody wants to go to uh, an RFP to, to 55 vendors. So <laughs> <laughs> shortlisting, step one. So uh, I'm sure you get lots of phone calls around that. So, so that's just really interesting. So again, you know, at the end, we'll make sure everybody knows where to find you if they are thinking, actually, I probably need to look at my technology issues and opportunities and I definitely need an expert um, pair of hands so I think that's another extraordinary service that, that you do do which again certainly in my position I would never um, have attempted to do something like that without support from somebody like you so I guess you get a lot of business doing that kind of work as well still do you? Yeah a lot of inquiries come through from that people certainly are after the the sort mm. of the the um the changes in the marketplace following the pandemic as the, as the country slowly reopens or different countries reopen, they're yeah. starting to look at these things a bit more closely. So I've had lots of people come on and say, I think yeah. it's time to evaluate what I'm doing. Yes. Um, Nick and I have just finished one now that we're working on a, uh, an mm. RFP situation. Um, mm. And it's not only me within CSN. I mean, we've, we've yeah. got an, an ex-comart guy over in the States who's doing an NNE CSN member, wherever they are, yes. can run this because we can do this remotely. 
yes. you know we don't need to physically be there we can we can do presentations we can ask them to complete surveys and answer yeah. questions tick boxes and what have you mm. so it, it's it's quite easy to do remotely yeah. Um, but yeah a lot of people look at that and that's when it enables you to sort of come back and say well if you use this technology you'll be able to do this 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 and this which will make your value proposition stronger yeah. more targeted yeah. um, and therefore more more effective yeah, yeah. I, mean, I saw some technology recently which enables a, a client to identify a return on investment by location in real time my goodness so if you're running a promotion you want to see how it's going yeah you, know, you can imagine the cfos love that yes um, sitting yeah. down and seeing the so they can see where yeah. the money's going and identify that yes this is having a uh, yeah. an impact on the market and that again is is uh, an ideal scenario and, and that's fairly common there are a yeah. few that don't enable you to evaluate that in the first instance one of the weaknesses i'm finding that very platforms don't allow the client to evaluate the potential liability for doing a double point or triple point offer. Yeah. But, um, mm. Most of them now are pretty much up to date because technology has, has had to move with, with yeah. the demand, demand from the marketeers. Yes, yes, always does, absolutely. And I suppose we can't uh, not refer to the uh, the pandemic, Mike. Um, I know in the UK, as you said, things are starting to return back to normal, um, certainly in Ireland um, yesterday. Um, so today we are, what, June the 7th, uh, when we're, we're having this conversation. So yesterday, uh, Ireland reopened uh, the pubs uh, for the first time since Christmas. So we've had, um, I think, actually the longest continuous lockdown of level five around the world, um, from what I I heard, yeah. um, but but in terms of just you know what are you hearing from loyalty marketers or direct from consumers in terms of what what is important to be thinking about now? So I love the loyalty check as you can tell. Um, you know, literally taking that helicopter view. Let's see what on earth is going on with our programs, um, so we can move forward into the next phase. But what do you think it's important for us all to be thinking about for as loyalty professionals? Well, I think it's talking to your customers and looking at retention. Okay. Um, because I suppose the supermarkets have stayed open. Yeah. Certainly in the UK, they've they've sort of weathered the storm, if you like. But some of the smaller independents have started to benefit. You know, the the, the convenience stores. Yes. People have used them a lot more. And, and I've said this before, that the convenience yeah. stores, the smaller independent retailers, they should be looking at having some form of loyalty program. Brilliant. Even if it starts off as something fairly basic, yes. but get some dialogue with your customers, talk to them, say thank you, make yes. them offers. If they're bothering to come into your store, yeah. uh, then then try and keep them coming in. You know, I think yeah. there is, it's the supermarkets automatically get it because it's convenience, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. everyone will pop into your local co-op or whatever it may be yeah. um, on their way back from from the office or from, mm. from out and about, may yeah. pop it for some milk or something. These are the people that perhaps need to be looking at loyalty yeah. a bit more seriously, mm. uh, not just bog off offers and two for one. It's a bit more than that. Yes. Um, because the good news is the customer is already a member of a program, just mm. not necessarily yours. So <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know, yes. look at those people coming in. I mean, it used to be a time when the shopkeeper knew all his local customers, then yes. they need to do that again, I think. You're losing your voice on me, Mike. You're all right. You can take a, a, a sip of water. I think, um, I think we've gone through anyway, most of the... Um, 
extraordinary stuff. As I said, in this um, presentation deck that you sent me for the loyalty check, uh, there's lots of lovely visuals. There's a report example. There's a SWOT analysis um, and, and showing exactly how, um, you know, swipe rates can be compared and, you know, all of the various different um, modules, as you said, and what it might look like um, if somebody does invest in this kind of work. So so I'm, I'm hoping and assuming that it's okay with you if I share that deck with anybody who reaches out. Yes, please. Um, yeah. And um, I'll make sure, for example, that, um, you know, we, we, we link to you obviously directly as well on the uh, Let's Talk Loyalty website and in the podcast as well. So, um, yeah, as I said, I think it's a great solution. I think we all need some external expert support from time to time. And uh, I think it's incredible that you can offer this kind of concept anywhere in the world. So that's kind of all the kind of questions I have from my side. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up? I don't think so, no. It's uh, it's covered it, and thanks for the opportunity for presenting it. Uh, I think uh, any loyalty practitioner should think long and hard. Um, it's, yes. it's a wise investment. It's false economy. If it's not working or you yes. don't think it's working, then yeah. you know, ha- have a word with us. Yes, absolutely. Well, listen, Mike Atkin, the loyalty guru, thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Paula. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 170 executives in 20 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews and thanks again for supporting the show. Listener.